the fifth album we chose kind of surprised me. I chose it, and Matt chose it after much deliberation. Um, after Steely Dan, uh, after a 20-year recording hiatus, Steely Dan came back in the year 2000. I think it was 2000 when that it album was, came out, yeah. wasn't it? Leap Day. Was it really? Was yes. it on Leap Day? February 29th. To release an album called Two Against Nature. And we chose this as our number five. It's... A perfect example of it. It is. It is one of the most single example examples of Steely Dan evolution you will find. It becomes just what you thought it should. It's a little bit leaner than the the you know the, the Asias and later the Gauchos and stuff like that. It's a little leaner. They fully they fully mastered the CD concept, where all these other albums are like thirty five to thirty eight minutes long. This is fifty something minutes 51, long. Yeah. Um, the song, but the songs are not excessively long. But there's more than seven. Yeah, there's more than seven there. There's nine. And uh, you know, this 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 is to me just kind of where the, they they reached a certain peak, and it may not be as enjoyable as some of the travels they'd had with Asia and Gaucho, but to me it stands as its own, and it kind of gets ignored. Um, you know this and the, the the album they did after this they kind of get ignored a lot and i don't think it's always fair i think this album has some really really high points on it again it's not one that that stands out as a solid block of of art but there's some great songs on here um why did you you, you, and, and again, it was between this and another album called Countdown to Ecstasy. Yeah. And I, you chose this. Jeff's not happy. Yeah, I think that, that for me, the the reason I chose this one is that I, th- I think it becomes really hard to gauge this one on its own um, mm-hmm. because, like Walter one time said, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Um, there's There's... For me, I grew up with those albums, uh, you know, the Steely Dan albums. When I started discovering my musical taste, that's what I went to. And they were all available. And I could incorporate them all at the same time. And I could I could hear, you know, something from Can't Buy a Thrill. And I'd think, oh, you know, there's a little thing there that, oh, yeah, that I hear that same thing over here on, on this track on Gaucho. And I could see a progression of stuff. When, when Two Against Nature came out um, in 2000, First off, no one really knew what it was going to be until it came out. No, like no, there wasn't, not at all. you know, like you were hearing a track on the radio six months in advance. There was none of that. Like you were waiting to see what this was going to be, and I think that for a lot of people, what it could have been uh, and what it was were so disparate that they could never reconcile that because what they were thinking is, hey. These guys are going to go back, and here's going to be Dean Parks and Larry Carlton and Bernard. That's Curry. exactly. And here's going to be they every didn't. great musician, and they didn't. They no. they chose musicians that they liked, some people that they toured with, you know, previously, uh, guys like Tom Barney, who's the, a bass player. Um, they used, yeah, it's uh, pretty much a, it's more of a standard uh, kind of a yeah uh, a lineup, and they're they're not. I agree with you. This is not. Have they gone through through and done done Asia too? Right. Um, that's what a lot of people wanted they did a lot of people wanted to go back there and they didn't they created something fresh something new it was modern without sounding squeaky and gimmicky right it had hooks it, oh, sure. it had hooks out the wall there's not a track on here that doesn't have something about it that's gonna catch it, you if you it, listen to it's it it's got a slinky groove all the way through yeah it. i mean it, it kicks off with a with a song and and it's at the time it wasn't a phrase that was being used. Now it gets used in God every context. My wife uses this word all the time: gaslighting. Uh, at the time, T- gas- opening track. Yeah. At the time, at the time, gaslight was an old movie. Uh, you know, from the what the fifties, and that was it. No one was referring to uh, the act of uh, trying to convince someone that they were fucking insane as gaslighting. But here were these guys singing about you know this this guy and his probably his young girlfriend trying to make his old lady think she was crazy. Uh, yeah, it's it's really the the there like we mentioned a minute ago, this is one of the few albums you will have that uh 
sings the praises of uh, having sincere lust for your relatives. Right. Uh, Cousin Dupree is, is still one of my favorites. And it's, I love that song. A, uh, record of the year. Yeah. I mean, it, this this record, yeah, this got them the Grammy but, that they never got And it got them before. the Grammy. So this in 2000, this was up against one of Radiohead's probably better received records. It was up against Eminem's kind of uh, blockbuster uh, uh, album. Uh, it was up against a, a Paul Simon album, uh, and and I remember distinctly, I was watching it that night, and I was thinking, you know, they don't have a chance. But then, you know, they'd already won a Best Engineer. They'd already won a Record of the Year. They were winning, I think it won five total Grammys. And, and they were, it was right after that they went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and, it, uh, and it, that was a great period for, for Steely Dan. But I remember when, when uh, Stevie Wonder said that, that it was them, uh, and, and I, I like I literally was cheering out loud like I was oh, I believe that. hooping and hollering I believe that <laughs> yeah. I, I, there, Paul Simon made a I, I cannot remember the exact comment was was they deserved it more than, than yeah and but I don't Paul, remember Paul was also pissed that uh, that because he felt like Eminem deserved it and I think there's yeah. a lot of people that felt that way including probably Eminem but I think that that's you know and to me it wasn't so much that I was thinking yeah they just showed that you know, Two Against Nature was a better album than all these. As well, there goes Steely Dan being as subversive as possible yes. again, winning a because Grammy. because they could win a Grammy for an album that talked about wanting to fuck your cousin. Yes, it, it the whole the whole record and the whole record has a groove from the beginning to the end too. <coughs> it has a simp. I mean, it's it's slinky from the front. Jane, Runaway is a song. <laughs> I think they actually released it. Um, I may be wrong. Well, they didn't really have singles at that time. Right. They probably pushed it out as an album track. And it's just, it's just, the the verse is a hook. The chorus is a hook. Um, there again, it is what they became. Jeff has been really quiet. Jeff does not share our love of this record, do you? It, no, 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 no. Listen, here, here's the thing. Lyrically, it's Steely Dan. To me, I mean, you hear it, and it's like, yeah, this this actually. You know who it is. You know what it is. But in my honest opinion, and you guys can fire away all you want, there is not a showbiz kids or king of the world on this album. Yeah, it's it and certainly that doesn't makes a rock. difference to me. Uh, yeah, but that album you mentioned, uh, or, or that those two songs, and and we'll talk about this in a minute. I think they're the only two songs. Yeah, on that see, album I, that, but that I really don't agree with that. I have but, to but, feel there's a lot more. Well, that it, I enjoyed. If we all agreed on everything, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I know it. But, but, that would uh, stink. But this one uh, this one is, if, and I'll be honest with you, when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's really cool. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're back. They're going to be performing. And I, I fully expected them at that point, which was totally immature of me to think, that now they would start recording albums again and we'd start, you know, get another cycle of great records. Um, and it wasn't to be. But... This this record, I think, I think honestly, I think Cousin Dupree is as good as those two songs you mentioned. Um, it, I think uh, Gaslighting Abbey is the first song, I believe, right? right. That didn't yeah. we talk about that a minute ago? It's, uh, I, I think that is, I think that I don't think it's as good an opener as Black Friday is, but I think it's one of their better their better opening songs. I, I really this think. this has a couple of tracks that that are on my like all time list, uh, specifically almost gothic caught me immediately uh and uh for what it's worth it is absolutely kind of uh the as much as you're ever gonna get a love song for steely dan it's it's walter talking about his wife of, of all which is, is not who really, if you ever met her when i told my daughter who has met walter's wife when right. i told her i think this song is is walter talking about her and she listened to it and she said oh yeah that's about her for sure it, it, having met her so. there there's a certain this album what's the name of that song man almost gothic. gothic okay gotcha i would i would dare say that negative girl is donald's uh, song about his Th wife there was there was a great line about this album before we we kind of take and this album you know of all the records we've mentioned here tonight and some that are you know we'll mention in a minute this is probably the least listened to Probably. I, I guarantee you, most hardcore Steely Dan fans just kind of think of it as an afterthought. They need to revisit it. But it's it's very good. Something I've discovered relatively recently is that there there are online communities uh, wherein Steely Dan has made a real resurgence in really what's now 
two generations almost after my time. Yeah. There is a group of, of 20 And you weren't in the generation that was I know, digging I know. it, you know? But the, these, these people love it. And to them, I, I'll compare it to something we kind of brushed on before, uh, Star Wars. I grew up with the Star Wars movies and love the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a kid, Darth Vader's the ultimate bad guy. Lightsabers are cool as shit. All of not, that not, not when you're a kid, well, okay? When, when you're at, He's still a badass, yeah. and they are the coolest. But, but when, I was, when I was a little bit older, I was, I was right out of high school when the, the prequels came out. And I remember, you know, being exci- just so excited to go see the new Star Wars movies and then being so disappointed yeah. in, like, yeah. Jar Jar Binks and trade negotiations and all the shit that what it, it the is. hell was that jar jar right. shit? but i think i think a lot of steely dan's fans felt that way about uh two against nature and to some extent everything must go i can see up. that but but that. this generation who to them it, it it's on the same level as in asia or a, a gaucho or a royal scam because like i was when i first discovered it they just have all this at the same time there's no expectation of what it will be it just is what it is and in that context, they enjoy it a lot more than Steely Dan fans I, do. I, I I can see that perfectly. I, I, my, before we go to the next album, I want to say that there's a great there was a great line about Steely Dan at this time. Steely Dan and David Letterman have long been compared to each other. Sure, I had that certain you know detached irony and that sort of quirky you know off center kilter sense of humor. They they not both, to mention the New York centric thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and when um, their new album was released, he did his top ten list, the, the Letterman top ten that he did every night for, what, 15 years, I think, right. was um, top ten reasons Steely Dan took so long to record another album. And one of the, the I think it was the first one he mentioned was, took him two decades to think of a rhyme for marsupials. <laughs> so... That album, that's our top five. That's, they, uh, that's, they, that's Steely Dan never made a late night TV appearance except for twice on Letterman. On Letterman, yes. yes. Didn't do Leno mm-hmm. or uh, Conan mm-hmm. or Why would else. anybody have done Leno? <laughs> They're plugging a movie and they never yeah. were. They, they were never conventional. If they'd have been a conventional act, they would have done Leno. And they would have gone, you know, on... Uh, on Craig uh, Craig Kilborn. I said I said when when Letterman retired, and and I'm a huge fan of Letterman. Letterman Letterman is probably the most influential thing to my sense of humor. Whatever Steely I, Dan I is yeah. to uh, to my musical sense, he was to my comedy sense. When he, when he retired, I said, "You're the only show that Steely Dan ever appeared on, and you're the only show Peyton Manning ever appeared on, and that says everything I need to know." As a Tennessee boy that, who loves Steely Dan. That pretty much puts it all to bed. It does. <laughs> but I want to say before we stop. It's also it. the only show that Larry Bud Melman oh, Larry, ever fucking look, appeared on. Letterman was a genius. Just a genius. But this uh, Two Against Nature ends with one of my absolute favorite Steely Dan tracks, West of Hollywood, which I think lyrically and musically is up there with anything they ever wrote. Uh, You've mentioned that before. It's, it's just one that really, really... Uh, Really hits me, and I'm I'm gonna yeah, but it, but fellas, it, it ain't got no Rick Derringer slide. <laughs> it, that that album, I, I re-listened to it um, this week um, when we were talking about, it, and I'd already decided it was going to be somewhere on because I've always thought it's underrated. Underrated, mm-hmm. but that particular song has never been one that I really caught into that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was nice, but I I viewed it more as kind of like a a solid coda than a right something. Um, and listening to it, well, actually, it was this afternoon. I was getting ready to to come come over here, and uh, that song kind of stood out to me a little bit more than you. And it's one of those things we we talked about this. It's been kind of an un, uh, ongoing theme with, since we've been doing this tonight. Certain songs of theirs hit you later, before you thought. You know, I may wake oh, up sure. tomorrow and Monkey and, and Your Soul is is I'm I'll tell you reading it like the E-G, Monkey and Your know? Soul was a song that I that I never got not once until. Walter sang it live, and it suddenly just hit me. I'll I'll tell you, I I always always thought, uh, first off, I can't separate a lot of the stuff that I like about the Two Against Nature album from hearing those, like some of those songs almost every night that I did that tour. I I can understand Uh, that. And so some of that is like Cousin Dupree, which I didn't really think a whole lot of on the album, and loved live. And a song that I had always thought was just, 
kind of, I don't want to say the worst of Steely Dan because I don't think of it that way, but I always kind of thought of Hey 19 as like a little too we're, we're gonna, on the nose. We're going to talk about but that. But man, when they did it live, I just loved it. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the other one we didn't choose, uh, Jeff had it on his list. And I, I'll be honest with you, I thought you were going to choose it on yours. I thought it might be on your list, man. It was number one on mine. It was number one on yours, and neither one of us chose it on the other, um, which does kind of surprise me. Um, and it's uh, Countdown to Ecstasy, their, their second album. And I'll be honest with you, you keep talking about this song does have showbiz kids in my old school which would go on my permanent playlist of Steely Dan songs. I agree. More more, um, more showbiz kids for me than my old school. I, but that's and, not and, one. Of, that that's not one of the tracks. And uh, that hits me like Boston Rag. Or, I have a, a weird fascination with Pearl of the Quarter. I don't know why. Probably so. How often do you hear Donald Fagan speaking French? You know. Uh, to me, I think I think it's it's where they're kind of trying to figure out just how, you know. Again, some of it sounds a little forced. Some of it sounds like they're just trying to be quirky for quirky's sake. Um, it's certainly not a bad album, as I told you guys both on our when we were doing our our texting to, to our group text this week. I I don't think there's a bad Dan album. Uh, actually, let me clarify that. I don't think there's a bad Dan studio album. Uh, and I don't think this is even the worst. But to me, once you get past those three songs, I'm not wild about Bodhisattva, uh, which is the other one you said. That's uh, probably a, a mostly Donald. Well, it, Donald, you can see some patterns. There's a fascination with the the Far East uh, that that kind of shows up in his stuff. But with a song like that, especially, it's written to be sparse lyrically, so that they have a lot of instrumental things to do live, so that Donald doesn't have to just belt out. Uh, you know, a lyric-heavy song. Well, see, that's, and here's the thing well, about that. I want to know why you like this album For so much. me, this this and the first album are more raw. They're rock yeah. and roll. All right, it, it, they, they step, it, the, the very thing that about a cipher that might bother you is one of the things I like in that that tempo is frenetic. And I think, it, it, to me, that demonstrates how they, you know, they're moving on the fly. I mean, it's still better the whole than the Pina song. Colada song. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but... Uh, it, it, it's it's just one that has never it to me it just seemed like it it almost seems like like filler to me Bodhisattva does yeah and, but see it, 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 even from that I opening do. piano yeah I mean I, I'm I'm my expectations are already set in a particular because I'm pretty orally focused on stuff like that when I listen to music and it's the same way like uh when I hear Showbiz Kids I I, I already expect when Rick Derringer opens. With that greasy slide, I'm expecting a greasy tune, and I get exactly that. Well, that whole song to me, uh, uh, Showbiz Kids, and we've yeah. talked about it multiple times here, is nothing but hook. Yeah. Smart fucking hook. Yeah. It's, well, it's a great song. There are bands that could, could be that hooky playing just a D minor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, no and, and that comes that right through. And, and there's tunes on there like Boston Rag, which I happen to really enjoy. I, I, that was another one that I always thought was okay, but then live it was it was kind of brought it home. Well, those those to me, and you don't that, care from Iowa school as much. I do. Huh? I enjoy my. You know, school. it's that it's kind of like Asia, and that uh, you know the biggest hits on that album. Now that now I, I enjoy them same as anybody else, but they're not the best songs on that album. Uh, the title track there is incredible, and the same with this one. You know, mild school doesn't. Doesn't really pop me in the same way that uh, like like say Showbiz Kids would or Boston Rag. Mm. Those out that album and Can't Buy a Thrill still sounds you know it, the important thing that you get through all these influences the country rock, the jazz, the baroque, whatever else. You still know on those first two albums that Steely Dan is a rock and roll band. Well, and but, they have that particular. See, I feel it. that way about Miles School. I think it's just a basic rocker, and but it also has the lyricism in it. It's it to me is the first time Steely Dan sort of achieved a, a sort of a, a, I don't want to say opaque, but they 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 started putting in lyrics that you you really had to dig into to figure out. There was a lot of impressionism there. We talked a few minutes ago about sure. how Gino and Daddy G was was uh, the the 
two of the guys who were prosecutors. Right. G. For, Gordon Liddy. G. Gordon Liddy and, and uh, I can't remember yeah, who the other guy. The other guy. Uh, I, he may not be in hell where G. Gordon Liddy for sure is. Right. But he actually, they were busted for grass, and, and that's how old I am, guys. I just said grass. Mm. Jesus Christ. Devil's lettuce. But it uh, to me, that song is different than most of the rest of their catalog. Right. But it's 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 I still like that song a lot. Um, the, again, countdown to me is a place where they get all right. Here, uh, sometimes I I, I want a, a visceral reaction rather than than you know I, I don't want to be Carl Sagan. I want take your balls out. Well, most and of this countdown has that. Yeah, most of this yeah, album, I, the songs were arranged as they were playing live because yeah. you know, they were already touring for the first album when they were working on this. And so they're working out arrangements to be played live. Um, you know, so a lot of this is built to sound more like typical rock and roll than, than most Steely Dan. I, I've got, I've got a great live, I, you know, downloaded from one, some, I think some website that the Steely Dan website or something for some fan. It was a live show and it was right after Michael McDonald started touring with them mm-hmm. and they did my old school and it's a it's a rave up, and it's you can tell they're just digging the hell out. Oh, of it's it. still a great song. Now, yeah, they're the digging time, the hell out. Uh, when they do this live, Skunk Baxter would take lead vocal on My Old School, and he actually just announced he's releasing a solo album, and he, his versions of My Old School and I think Do It Again are going to be on it. Uh, now, if you go listen to it, to me it's it's everything that Donald and Walter kept steely dan from from becoming see it's just too much it may have been him michael mcdonald's not singing lead on on this on when i on the one i heard it may have been skunk because it's a little it was probably less of a uh you know kind of that garbled right uh, one other thing i'll argue on that matt king of the world to me is one of the first that's one of those early uses of afro beat King that, of the World's that, that, an interesting and, and I got to believe that's Walter probably involved. Yeah, I, in I, I get the the impression that that's a very Walter song, but it's also you know that was the first time recording wise that they brought in uh, Jeff Percaro, who'd been doing some touring with them. Uh, they'd been touring with two drummers, Jim Hodder uh, and Jeff Percaro, and so they're both playing on on King of the World, which which really is a that's a great tune, song. man. Now that, the, that the one track, didn't get me. Like the track on good. this one that I always felt like was real underrated was Your Gold Teeth. Which I think is is a sure. great little f- kind of funky thing, and it's got a reference to a, a, a singer named Kathy Barbarian, which is as obscure as you can really. I get have with. no idea. You know, who that, you is know that that always to me seemed like one of the more brilliant throwaways they had. Yeah, it really did. And I, she I, uh, gave copies of this album of of Countdown to Ecstasy to all of her friends. Because they talked about her on the album. And well, if they name dropped you, wouldn't you do the yeah, same absolutely. thing? Absolutely. Should I never stop talking? Yeah, about I was going to say I'd sign it too. But yeah, this album to me still has that rock and roll feel, and, and, and I love you, that. I'll this. tell you this, Jeff. I did mention, uh, you know, the the novelty of hearing uh, Donald Fagenstein "Voulez Voulez Voulez," but Pearl the Quarter also has some just beautiful pedal work. By, by Skunk yeah. Baxter. It okay, sure does. It really does. Since we're talking about it, we also didn't pick uh, uh, the first album, um, Can't Buy a Thrill. Right. Um, and But we've, we've kind of glossed over a little bit. The one thing I love about that record, and I do, I'll be honest with you, I listen to that more than I listen to Countdown to Ecstasy, is it's got that, as we mentioned, that energy, that chemistry of a great band playing together. And um, there are some good... and. As you mentioned before, it had, uh, what was his name, David Palmer? Right. Was that his name, who sang on Dirty Work, which kind of hit. Well, Dirty Work, now, it's funny, Dirty Work was just recently featured in an episode of uh, that show on uh, uh, Euphoria. Which really? Which on HBO with uh, Zendaya. Who's a, really? Know. So this is, this is uh, you know, one of those shows that, like, my youngest daughter's generation is all watching. And really, even older than that, it's a, it's a big show, and so they had that at the end of an episode. They ended it with dirty work, and and my my daughter came to me and said, well, "That's a Steely Dan song, isn't it?" And I said, "Yeah," and 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 so she had a little cachet with her kind of friends because uh, they had all seen this yeah, episode no to say like, "Hey, I, I've been to that guy's house." You know what's funny <laughs> about know? that album? The guy that wrote the that is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> that that on that album because y'all both mentioned that. <laughs> 
that's not the song that immediately comes to We've all heard it, and it's all been played. But I think of reeling as as being the one that's really suffered the most from like overplay. Yeah, reeling and, yeah, and, and it's so. a shame. And do it so. again, or both. You know, at some point, uh, yeah. uh, Jimmy Page said that reeling in the years is the greatest rock guitar solo. Period. No, it's got it. Yeah, it's, it's got a it's, great bridge. It's I mean, pretty Elliot's undeniably brilliant. Yeah. It is. It's it's. Um, Who plays that? Uh, that lead. Elliot Randall. Yeah, Elliot that's. Randall. He plays that and and Kings, which to to me Kings is a, is another great solo, but it that's a song that doesn't really get talked about. Elliot and I have a mutual friend uh, on Facebook. Elliot, Elliot is my friend on Facebook. Okay, and, and Elliot on my birthday. Well, I got two mutual me, friends. Writes me happy birthday, Matt. We have and just, that always feels great. We have got this this particular friend is 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 one of those right wing libertarian types. So you both he's a good cat. Him? I'm not going to say is I'm not going to. I don't want anybody Elliot to think bad not. of him because he's a good cat. No, Elliot is definitely not because he and I have ended up on several uh, same sides and and doing the old digital high five a couple of times. Um, and I, I'm I'm I don't want to go. God damn, I love that solo because you always heard it a thousand oh, yeah. times. But it is it is singular. Uh, you know, if you were doing a, a top ten guitar solos in, in in rock and roll, that would be one of them. To me, the only Steely Dan track that really like rivals it in terms of just the the guitar solo is Kid Charlemagne, uh, which to me may be one of the great guitar solos. It, it is a good solo. Well, the the thing is, the thing about uh, Can't Buy Thrill, you you're you're hearing right there on that first album. What you're going to, this is the proto version, but you're hearing everything you're going to get down the road. They're already working. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In, into into those those into multiples on on both styles, production technique. Everything, but they're still rooted. Coming from they're there. still rooted in that moment though, yep, which is, yep. is an got amazing rock and trick roll to pull feel, off. Man. I mean, um, the other one, one of the other ones we didn't mention was the album, and I was, I. I I wasn't sure if it's going to be on the list or not. It's never been one of my favorites. No. Um, like I say, Asia's never been a personal favorite. And this one, I I went back and listened to, I missed about six months ago, at, probably after something you said on here, Matt, uh, and that's Gaucho. Right. Which I think is their second biggest seller, is it not? Yeah, well, and it's one of those albums that, that usually the Steely Dan divide is which is better, Asia or Gaucho. Yeah. Well, um, that's usually where people are. We've settled call. that tonight, right. so tell everyone to kiss yeah, our they can, ass. They, look, they, they could have voted if they knew. That's us. true. Um, yeah, I think I think you know, and I think Joni Mitchell at one point said something like, "If Gaucho had been released first, it would be the one that everybody regarded as the the, the height of Steely Dan." And I just don't buy it. Um, I, I think Gaucho is is a f- really really good album, but there there are a lot of ways in which it feels a by virtue of the just the studio work, it feels a little brittle, and it it like you don't want to say they're trying too hard because they, they are they though. achieve the result, but at a certain point it's like this is as far as you can push this without it falling apart, and and it absolutely feels that way to me. But it did fall apart. This to me is an audio cartoon of a band called Steely Dan. Okay, uh, a musical entity called Steely yeah. Dan. It's 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 all. Now there's some good songs on it, um, and you know part of this may be personal. This album came out when I was a senior in high school. Okay, Hey Nineteen at that time meant nothing to me. Sure. Okay, uh, you know speaking to you as a fifty nine year old man. Well, okay, fifty eight. I won't be fifty nine until next month. Yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were. You. No, I take that bad. I'll be fifty nine this month. I just realized this. April. Is, this is April. Um, I. I can dig it now. I can get it a little more. It's a little more understandable to me. And at that time, uh, the market they were selling to, even though there was a lot of adults listening to it, was still geared towards young people with disposable income. Right. Uh, the title track, I think, is 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 gorgeous. The title I, track I think to there's me some is one of the five best Steely Dan songs. It's it, it's beautiful song, and and the the lyrical contents hysterical and probably way ahead of its time oh, yeah, for sure um but well but you, you just illustrated the title track is great but for every song like my rival which i really like there's glamour profession which i don't get 
Well, it's, 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 I, I, think it's for me. I think it's one of their weaker cuts yeah, overall. Time, of any, it just, um, I put it on well, and I go. The, the lyrical content not going of with the this song one. like Glamour Profession is, is, you know, the idea that, that somebody, you've got all these celebrities in various, you know, venues, whether it's, uh, you know, a right. basketball player for the Lakers or a movie star or whatever, but they all have a drug guy. No, you know, no, like, that's fantastic. Th- th- that makes sense, but I think I think that what happens, musically it just fell. Well, on. and and this album had some some pretty famous issues anyway. There was a song that was supposed to be kind of the, you know, like the whatever the the Doctor Wu of Katie lied. It was supposed to be that of this uh, album. It was called the Second Arrangement, and they'd gotten everything finished, and then the assistant engineer. Uh, erased most of it accidentally and of course with as much time as they were spending trying to get things right and with as many times as they weren't just exchanging individual musicians but whole bands and the hopes of of maybe today you know we capture that lightning in a bottle to lose what you thought was your best track was was pretty devastating uh this was at the the height of of walter's uh kind of personal drug issues which a lot of people will tell you that because of that they think this is really almost just a Donald Fagan album. I can tell you it is not. Um, where that comes into play is that when that Walter eventually got hit by a cab and broke his leg in quite a bit. Uh, uh, it was a really problematic. And he couldn't come into the studio to do the mixing and the mastering. Now, Walter had always been the tech guy. So at that point, you've got Donald who's in charge of it. And Donald's perfectionist streak is really... See that's unbridled because Walter's not there a he's not to there. do it and b to contain. I think Donald, of this record, is, yeah, I think of this record as being uh, where Donald finally, you know, went off the deep end yeah, as far I, as as overdubbing and and right. tra- playing a song, recording a second at a time. Right. Uh, it ju- it yeah, just they, doesn't they make invented, it. Uh, or had they didn't invent? They had their um, their master engineer Roger Nichols essentially invented the drum machine. For this album, he invented a device called the Wendell, uh, where they could sample individual drum clip. You know, here's a snare hit, here's a hi hat yep. hit, yep. and they could sample all this and then go back and take a recording and replace. Oh, here's where this guy hit the the hi hat. Let's replace that with what we sampled into. Ah, uh, see, it would have caught on better if they'd called it the Purdy. Right? Yeah. But uh, you know, and and look, Purdy plays his famous shuffle on the Babylon Sisters, the opening right. track. Right, which, which is a great moment. Th- there's a, that's a great song too. Uh, I think, uh, you know, but but when it gets right down to it, what you've got here is is three years of effort that produced six songs, uh, and the last six track, songs... Third World Man, had been recorded for Asia and not used, and got repurposed for this. But yeah, it's uh, and I frankly think it should have. To me, that uh, Jeff hit nailed it there. I think when you get to things like Glamour Profession and this song, they were they they were caricatures. They they really were. Well, I, it just lay, is, it lays on the vinyl. Yeah, and I what's mean, funny is they had a lot of of songs that they had, you know, at different stages of tracked or or yeah. at least demoed for this album and then just never got to there's we're, we're not going to get into tonight but at some point we'll do we'll do something and sure, let you yeah. just run haywire on a lot of their unreleased stuff sure. i've got some of it uh, i've told you before i thought the lost gaucho right stuff like the bear the bear which uh, apparently had Cooley been around Baba for a while that, that had been around for a while and they just kept recording you're, you're, it you're not going to subject us to jimmy buffett are you no, never. Okay, no, no, good. no. It's it's there, there's the, the lost. The, what is the Shadow Gaucho? They they right, released yeah. it as a bootleg. They didn't release it. It was it was basically a, the album that was going to be Gaucho before there was another version of Gaucho there. Yeah, well, there's um, a there's a, a you know there was an initial version of Third World Man called Were You Blind That Day? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of of there's a there's actually a recording of Gaucho that has even more saxophone if you can believe it. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of stuff like that that just never, never saw the light was of that, day. Was that Phil Woods on Gaucho? Uh, on, was it Tim, on Tom Gaucho? Scott? No, that is uh, Tom Scott. Okay. Yeah. okay. The last album of, that we haven't mentioned yet was their last studio album. Um, and I agree with Donald Fagan. I think this album is a little bit underrated. It's not great. It's not going to stand with any of them that we've mentioned in the top five in terms of, of pure brilliance. But again, taken in a vacuum, it's an amazing record. Um, it's called Everything Must Go. 
and it has some great great points great songs on this record first of all one of my favorite is the only um walter becker vocal on a steely dan studio album where he he sings on slang of ages and it's perfect it's i, I was matt and i were talking about it earlier it's it's uh it doesn't have the kind of uh personality that uh, that fagan's voice has most of the time but for this one it is requisitely and perfectly skeevy okay yeah, i think that that you know there's there's a thing to that song that that is perfect for what walter does which is this kind of uh ironically uh out of your element thing he's got this yeah it, it, oh yeah thematically yeah. it's a lot like a hey 19 somebody who's out of touch with the younger generation of woman he's kind of trying to get with mm-hmm. um you know and, and it, he goes with her, and at some point he says, hey, these tabs look iffy, but you say they're good, so let's roll with the homies and knock on wood. And it's obviously a guy who's saying, you know, he's got this younger girl, and he's trying to be hip to what's going on. You know, you say these tabs are iffy, so I'll take one. Hey, yeah, let's uh, roll with the homies, you know. <laughs> Somebody who's very clearly he's trying, right, you know, but is just failing to, to make a connection. That, this the, his voice on this, and I'd heard him sing before, obviously, but I'd never heard him sing a Steely Dan song. Sure. And the first thing I thought of was as much as much of a kick as I get out of Cousin Dupree, had he sung this, you'd want to get a shower afterwards. Right. Okay. It just sounded a little too on on the nose on it. On, you know? you know, on that '96 tour that they did, they kind of took a. It was a unique tour because. The first two, they were doing songs from their forthcoming solo albums that no one had ever heard. You know, Donald would do stuff like On the Dunes, and Walter would do stuff like Book of Liars. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, Steely Dan songs that had never been played live. Well, when it gets to 96, they did, like, they did a Midnight Cruiser from the first album. I, did, I didn't mention uh, that when we were talking about that. I love that song. Yeah, it's really good. Jim Hodder sang it, and that yeah. opening line, Felonious, My Old Friend, <laughs> is just amazing. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, I you didn't know, mean to... no, you're you're good. But they so they they took some chance with that. Well, they also did uh, three songs that they said they were considering for their new album, which ended up being Two Against Nature. And the it was uh, Donald sang two of them. There was one called Cash Only Island and one called Wet Side Story uh, that never made the the album. No. And Walter sang an early version of uh, Jack of Speed. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a little, it's a more upbeat, and if you listen to it, you can really hear, especially if you've if you've ever done a deep dive onto the 11 tracks of Whack album, or really if you're familiar with it, if you hear his version of Jack of Speed, uh, or that early version, you get how 11 tracks of Whack sounds like Steely Dan. I, it's, you and I have talked, we'll, we'll talk about their solo stuff here in just a second, but I, I love that record. Oh, that, yeah. that's 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 just amazing I, I had the same like I, I talked about before some people that when they heard two against nature they were upset that it wasn't asia 2 mm-hmm. when i first listened to 11 tracks of whack I, I it was hard for me to to parse that music without donald's voice like, just, yeah. you know it like i i, I did, it wasn't that i expected it to be donald singing it was that i didn't know how to interpret it otherwise and so then once i once i kind of hit got hip to it i i was it, it really floored me with how good it was but uh yeah it, it took a minute another cut a track a highlight of this is a second song called things i miss the most oh, yeah, yeah which is you know it's kind of the uh the partner to to uh hey 19 Right. I think that's the so highlight of that bit, album, by the way. With a little more bitterness to it. Well, the highlight of it to me is a song called God Whacker, which uh, uh, Donald Fagan says he wrote after his mom died. And apparently she had a lingering illness. And he said, and the song is about a, a group of assassins who have been given the contract to kill God. To whack God. And he said, I wrote it after my mom died, and because all I could think of was, if you could do that, if you could pay someone to do that, you know, wouldn't you do it just for all the pain? Just this real, you know, edgy, angsty kind of bullshit. Yeah. But. Well, and at the same time, uh, they were recording this album in New York uh, when 9-11 happened. And so you you get some, like, that... there's some shades of that and this song especially you know this concept that like 
You know, and they, they, it's funny because they, they reference uh, uh, Burns, you know, the tiger, tiger burning bright, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he says, we sniff you big tiger in the forest of the night yep. is a lyric. Uh, and, but it's got, it's it's a great track. And and our, our friend, uh, when, when, when Tim Lowe and I, you know, first kind of were sharing our musical uh, appreciation for different things, I gave him a copy of this. And Lunch with Gino is the one that really struck him. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. And well, this really, it does have a couple, I think, Green Book, uh, Lunch with Gina, Slang of Ages is like we already talked about. But there's tracks on this like Blues Beach. I just, it's just not ever going to be one that. You know, when I told you when I listened to this again, that's one that kind of flattened out for me. Yeah. Um, I, I will, I'll say this, the, 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 the whole Fagan, this, this to me is indicative of, of how I, I kind of look at Donald Fagan. He talks about what an edgelord he is, you know, by doing this. In 1987, there was a book called The Jehovah Contract. Um, Victor Corman, or Coman, I think is the guy's name. I read the book, and it's about an aging assassin who's given the contract to whack God. And I'm sorry, these guys were too literate. I mean, the book was an award-winning science fiction book and that's kind of one of the reasons i sort of ask you if that was the case this was clearly influenced by that sure i, I have no idea if well, he at ever one point, admitted or not walter said that they were the robber barons of rock and roll that they were taking ideas from anywhere they could get them and just it's I, well i'll say that for two reasons a listen to the song the album's good the song's very good and it's a perfect companion piece to reading the whole album is a perfect companion piece to reading that book yeah um and it's it's kind of sad that it's not really brought up a lot, uh, but it, I think it's a better album than it, it. Again, I think Gaucho is overrated. I think this is very underrated. Yeah, I think it just it happened to have come out at a time where you know when when Two Against Nature came out, it was this is the reunion album. They haven't done anything right. for twenty years. Well, here it was like they hadn't done anything for three years. You know, it didn't have the same thing. It didn't have, and and, and the, the the marketing wasn't behind it like it had. been. No, it really wasn't. I remember, and and you know, it it wasn't like the songwriting was worse. It, it was it was equal to a lot of the stuff that was 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 going on at the time, um, but uh, or, or gone on before when they were doing it, but. It, it 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 wasn't anything that really knocked me out yeah. um, at when it came out either, but more listenings have have really brought a lot out to me, which I guess is as it should be. And I think that that you know, again, we, you know, Two Against Nature had come out in two thousand. This came out in two thousand three, and it kind of felt like, oh, are we going to keep getting Steely Dan albums? In retrospect, it makes sense that everything must go as. Was it the coda? It of, was a nice little ending, it and, really and the song itself, the title track, which is the last track on the album, kind of you know, in summation, talks about the the ending of a business. Yes, business yes, folding it and, is. You know, now you're just well, trying to get a little FaceTime from Miss Fugazi in the service elevator, it's, and Dave from Acquisitions can bring the camera if he wants to. You know, that's it's a very Steely Dan track. It starts off with the last mall, which is just the perfect kickoff. Yeah, and and it's. In addition to the studio albums, they had a couple of live albums. Uh, one of them came out, um, well, live documents, I'll say. One of them came out in, uh, let's see here, when was it? 90, 95. 95. Alive in America. After they had started touring again, and they toured for six, seven years before they recorded, um, they did a live album called Alive in America. And don't waste your money. It's the, awful. The only thing I, that I need to say about that album is that if you look at the credits, uh, Donald is the producer. Yeah, I think you've mentioned well, before that it Walter was, did not have a hand in that because he kind of felt like if we, if it's a live album, which was a compromise they made to not call it live at all, it's just alive in America, and the core of it is so you know selected tracks from selected cities on those first two tours. But yeah, it's it's very produced, and it doesn't add anything. No, to Donald the studio went back and audience. re-recorded some vocals, and you know they they brought in crowd noise from other places. Yeah, it's just a, a horrible mishmash, and it, it, it and you know the, the the funny thing is, it didn't even sell that well. No, it you know you would think you know it's finally Steely Dan product after fifteen and, years, and people have been going to the those shows. The I mean, people were attending the great. show, but I, you know I, I went to one of the not one of the shows. I don't know one of the shows was one that was recorded. 
Uh, I went to one of the shows in that time period, and I got a promotional copy of it, and I listened to it once, and I, I, I've not listened to it since. Then. Yeah, yeah, not not one time. Um, the only good thing that came out of that was that they they recorded this like thirty minute kind of uh, documentary thing about the Alive in America album on uh, I guess it was on VH1, and a couple of the tracks from it were from uh, a show they did in Detroit. And uh, the the guy that's interviewing them says, uh, you know, so what was what was different about Detroit? And Donald says, uh, well, you know, I just told the band guys, we're, you know, we're playing Motown tonight. Let's tighten it up. You know, let's let's try to sound good out there. And the guy says, well, you didn't tell them to play tight every night. And Walter says, no, most nights we told them, well, we're not in Detroit. Play any old sloppy shit you want to. <laughs> and that to me is as much of of a like. To me, that's one of those moments you're like, yeah, exactly. What a fucking dumb question. <laughs> the, the it really other, was. The other live document was released as a DVD, um, and I had seen it years ago. I didn't know they'd actually released it as a DVD. Mm-hmm. It was released at that time. Uh, it was called Plush TV Jazz Rock Party, and it was a uh, contained concert they did. And kind of a documentary about the making of Two Against Nature. Right. And it's, it's if you have to listen to a live Steely Dan, I think we've already decided you have to see them live to really appreciate them. Right. This one was a lot more fun. It's a lot of form. If it's not just a bunch of rehash. No. Did well, you and, say and did, plush TV jazz Plush part? TV jazz rock party. And what okay, they did, you've already lost me with the fucking tie. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I think that was an afterthought. Yeah, it, it, it was. But they, they kind of released it as a grab. Well, they were um, they did they did at the so basically on two different weekends in a row they did that and then they did VH1 Storytellers that was never released that would um, be good it's I mean I, I've got a copy somewhere I don't think it was ever officially released I, I don't think it was and and I think they covered wow you know, a lot of the the kind of same stuff but to me that's as close that is the the 2000 touring band um, if you want to hear except that. for that I think Chris Potter's on saxophone and he wasn't on the tour. Now, uh, now they yeah. have been, as we mentioned, Walter Becker died in 2017. Since then, Donald Fagan has been fucking the corpse. I thought um, he died uh, like 10 years earlier. No. No, no I'm joking. Uh, Fagan has been, you know, calling himself Steely Dan yeah. and, and touring. Uh, he's touring this summer, I believe. Um, and he did a live album called, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Northeast Corridor. Northeast Corridor. And I listened to this, um, it came out last year, and I, I saw it on my, one of the s- streaming servers, something said, you know, if you like this, listen to this. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. And at the end of it, I was like, well, there's, you know, 50 minutes of my life I'm never going to get back, and I don't want it's It's, first of all, I have real problems, and I didn't know at the time it was, I thought it was an older show. Sure. Uh, I didn't know it was post-Becker. Um, and it's, it's. To me, what Fagan has done since then is kind of disgusting. Um, I just, I don't begrudge anyone making a living. I really don't. But he makes more money touring his Steely Dan than Donald Fagan. I guess I can, but it, there's. Yeah, he, he said that the promoters, you know, want him to tour his Steely Dan, which I'm He also sure said they he'd do. come out with the idea of, uh, you know, a contract out for God's life. So right. I, I've gotten the point. I read his book, Eminent, Eminent Hipsters. Hipsters. Right. Uh, it's garbage to me it, it wasn't even that enjoyable it, it it just it just fell apart yeah i, th- I think uh, i think this is one of the things that that kind of happens i have a, a lot of respect for donald as a musician as a talent altogether. you know and yes. like i said he was he was never anything I'll, I'll tell you one so when i did that steely dan tour i did almost all the shows on the tour there were a couple nights where the logistics of driving from where we were to where they were going to be next and then getting back to the day after didn't work for us. Right. But I saw almost every show on that tour. My parents came up for, uh, and they had my, like I said, that's how I knew Steely Dan, they, that they liked Steely Dan. And uh, my parents came up to uh, meet us in Bennington, Vermont. We stayed there for the 4th of July, and the nearest concert was in Sarasota Springs, New York. Saratoga Springs, New York. Saratoga. Uh, so we go to the, the concert, and just like most nights, there's backstage passes uh, for uh, 
Amanda and I, well, they had put in an extra one because I had asked for extra tickets because I said my parents were coming. So they put in an extra backstage pass. Oh, well, that's very cool. Yeah, so I, t- I took my parents back there, and, and most nights we'd go backstage, and Walter would be there uh, before the show, and Donald would be there before the show. If you go back between the two sets, you might see Walter. You're not going to see Donald. Between the two sets, he is in his dressing room, probably upset with some mistake that's happened well, earlier in the show. again, the man's got to rest his voice, and I don't say that facetiously. No, yeah, it, and it, it I, really look, is. you're not you're not beholden to do anything. No, you're right. right? Yeah. So, but this night between the between the two sets, I took my parents back and you know saw a bunch of the musicians. Uh, Ricky Lawson, who was the drummer that year, mm-hmm. always super great to me. Just just nicest guy in the world. Uh, John Harrington, who was was and still is the lead guitar player uh, for Steely Dan's band. Yeah, that touring band, a lot of those guys have been there with yeah, now they've, for quite they've a been few years. Yeah, for a while. So, you know, I'm introducing them. And, and Walter looks out of his dressing room and sees me with, I guess he knows it's my parents because I said I was going to need extra tickets for him, and comes down there and introduces himself to them and goes out of his way to, to, to you know, say, oh, you know, we're glad you're here. Matt's been great, all, you know, whatever. And then he says, hey, I'll, I'll be right back. And he leaves and he goes into Donald's dressing room and somehow convinces Donald to come out and meet my parents. Now, he didn't have to do that, but also Donald didn't have to do no, it he either. didn't. He didn't. And, you know, so I, I'm not I'm not going to, you know, look, I have my own feelings about what Steely Dan is without Walter Becker. I won't go see them. Not because I think that he doesn't have a right to tour as Steely Dan. He can do whatever he wants. But it's not. To, to me, it's it's like going it's not, to see. Yeah. Listen, it's like going to see Leonard Skinner at this point. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not. It doesn't exist. Right. Um, I would. I, I, I've, I actually have had this discussion. If Donald tours as Donald Fagan and Donald Fagan's band or Donald Fagan plays the music of Steely Dan, I'll go see him because I like the music. And I, but you I, know, you didn't, go see, you didn't go see him when he was here, did you? I did. You did? I thought you said you didn't. No, I did. That was actually like. A, what a month before Walter died? It, yeah, he he. It was just before that. Yeah, but yeah, I went to see him because I was like, I'm not Donald Fagan coming to my town. <laughs> now, I did not go to that show. I and, and it was good. That band that was backing him, he called them the the Night Flyers. Mm-hmm. They're a bunch of kids from the Woodstock area. Yeah, including a, a, a guy named Connor Kennedy, who after Walter died, kind of I don't want to say replaced because you can't replace Walter, but became the other guitar player it became and, the foil that he was and, and was really good at it like he's a he's a hell of a guitar player um but that i thought that band was excellent and i'll go see donald fagan but i to me i can't go see steely dan because it just doesn't exist I, I would not go see it with with uh steely dan. but that's it, that's that, just me that kind of brings up the last thing we need to touch on and it's we've spent a lot of time digging into some of the stuff there were five solo albums between becker and fagan uh, Fagans were by far and away the more commercially successful, right? Uh, and the most successful one was the first one, the Nightfly, which you guys like a lot. Um, to me, it just sounds like polished hooey, and it, all the humor that I got out of Steely Dan, and I actually kind of got some in the the Comic Curiat, which was his next album. I didn't get in. Nightfly. No, I think Nightfly takes itself seriously because Donald took himself seriously. I think so. And I think that, you know. I think the subject matter at that time was a little more serious for well, him, too. I, I think that, that what you have with Nightfly is that that Donald has just come out of this songwriting partnership with, with Walter. And he's, in the meantime, had a lot of ideas for songs where he's approached Walter and said, Hey, what about we do one about, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know what's a, like one about a, a guy who's getting on the last boat out of Cuba before the before the revolution, and Walter says, "Eh, I don't I don't really feel it. You know, let's move on to the next idea." Well, but Donald's got all these kind of ideas, or you know, maybe he's got a verse or a chorus or a, a you know a couple of lines that he either wrote down or something, so that he's got something to build the Nightfly from. Now, without Walter, you, you're going to miss out on because I, I think Walter was a lot of times. It wasn't that he was the humor. It was that the interplay between the two was. And without yeah, I it, agree. It just I agree. Wasn't. I don't think it was just him, but it, 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 it without that kind of of uh, dual creativity, yeah, uh, it, it that album seemed emptier to me. And even Comic Curiod, which was them two recording together again, sure. um, it wasn't in the songwriting. And Fagan didn't write the. I mean, uh, Becker Walter, didn't write. Yeah. Um, Morph, Morph the Cat was the third, and the less said. To me about that the better i know it's got its uh fans but i'm not one of them sure um 
one thing we, we you and I all agree. Are you, and then the, don't, don't leave out sunken condos. Which one was that? That's Donald's uh, last solo album. Oh, I haven't heard that one. It is. I was uh, say I have no idea what that. When is. did so, that come out? Oh, it came out in uh, two thousand nine, two thousand. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. No. Again, you know, this is this is kind of a uh, comic period and Nightfly both had. I mean, Nightfly was was you know following up Gaucho, which had been a huge commercial right. success. Yeah, they both got huge pushes from the record. Yeah, yeah they and did. then Comic they sure did. was the first Donald album since the Nightfly, and it's Donald and Walter together, so it got some some promotion. Uh, but Morph the Cat really didn't get much promotion at all, uh, and I would say that that uh, Circus Sunk- Money and well, Sunken Condos got none. Sunken Condos was, was I don't I, that's. Obviously, I haven't researched that deeply because those are the only three I knew of. Yeah, it's got like he covered uh, uh, Isaac Hayes out of the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he sure, kind of tried not? to make it a, about the Jewish ghetto. And I give him props oh, boy. For, for the idea. I'll have to listen to it. I don't think it. it works. I'll have to listen to it. I mean, I'm not going to diss it without I'll, hearing I'll it. I'll say the same thing. I, look, I think I think that the, the worst Donald Fagan is still listenable. You know, it's not like this guy. If nothing else, the voice is there. He's not capable of producing just absolute shit. No. But but by comparison to how good it could be is where you start thinking. Well, this isn't really where it's at. Again, the voice is there, and and that can bring out a lot, even if it's not there naturally. Well, he's, his voice will sound like Steely Dan. His chord structure, the the way he puts harmonies together. Uh, it's 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 gonna sound like yeah I wouldn't expect ish. that to be a real departure right no, there because it, it's yeah. just ingrained in who Donald right. Fagan he's, is he's he sounds like Steely Dan he he can't help it Walter could make a decision to deliberately not sound like that and be well, fully capable on, but on his solo albums um, eleven tracks of whack which we kind of touched on right which I I, I think's got some really good stuff on I oh, like yeah. I, and that's I would never say it's a great album. I'd put Surf and or Die up there with anything either of them ever wrote I, I, personally. A Book of Liars was the, the single that was released, and I, I loved that song. And when I heard it's on, the, the, I will say for all of its failings, the the version of Book of Liars on the Alive in America album is really pretty. Well, well I tell you what, I remember seeing him do that at the on the tour I saw, and I, it kind of brought a little bit extra to it. Sure. Um, you guys are huge fans of Circus Money. Oh, yeah. Jeff, uh, you kind of turned Jeff onto it, and he, he listened to it, I think, obsessively for a couple of months, didn't you? Let's put it this way. For about three weeks, it stayed in the prime rotation spot. It's just okay. that good. But I've done my job. And didn't you tell me that you once thought that had Fagan been involved in that record, they would be it would be considered one of the best yeah, Steve Dan albums. If, if, Fagan was, if Fagan had sang those songs, as written by Walter or Walter and Larry Klein in most cases, um, that it would be considered the best album since The Nightfly or Gaucho, okay. depending on how much you like Nightfly. Fair enough. Ly- lyrically, in, in, in some places, I mean, it sprawls, but in such a great way. I mean, it just <clears throat> covers. Jeff, Jeff called me one day in that time period, and it's when we were uh, we were about to get, we were getting ready for another thing. He goes, man, I've been listening to this record over and over again it's great and i had not listened to it i'd heard it but it, it didn't really make that big of an impression on me right and i re-listened to it and again some of some of the insights that jeff had, had kind of talked about and i was like okay i can see that it's still not one i've listened to it didn't hit me like you did probably because i'm not really wild about some of the the elements that are in there see that's that's what i really but, enjoy is, i know is, i know it but it's it's a wonderful record it really is. There, yeah, there, there are a handful of songs. I'd say that the the um, the second song, Downtown Cannon, a song called Upside Looking Down, Paging Audrey, uh, and then there's another one that I'm... To me, Paging Audrey is one of those. I, I mean, it really that's one is. You liked quite a bit. It's what it's just it, it's the master yeah. lyrically. It's the master. I think those are, I think those are up there with anything either of them ever wrote. Uh, ju- just in terms of the the straight songwriting. Skill. Yeah, I do too. And, and, you well, know, you told us a story about that, which right. really brought a little bit of depth to. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of stuff that has to have a background check to it. Yeah, and I don't. Think but that, that really did bring something out yeah. a little bit more to and, it. And you know, it's one of those where I I heard uh, Larry Klein, who was the producer on this album, and I guess they met at the Grammys when Steely Dan won for Two Against Nature. Yeah, and because Larry, Larry said some, something about it to his wife, and she said, "You know, Gaucho had come out first. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, they they had 
kind of become uh, friendly, and they got together and wrote some songs. Like they wrote a song that was on uh, Luciana Souza album, and she's married to Larry Klein now. Mm-hmm. They wrote some songs together for uh, Madeline Perot, uh, and and then wrote you know some songs together that ended up being circus money. And and in a lot of cases, I get the impression that Walter kind of had the f- the foundation of a song. But then he used, I don't want to say use, he and Larry wrote together the same way he and Donald had, which was, you know, like, you get together, you put, you know, you put this sound you've made on repeat, and you try to, you know, make each other feel something, either by being humorous or by, you know, whatever, until you've got a song at the end of the day. Well, see, to me, that's still there, too, because it, on, a, on a song like Bobby's Not Your Uncle anymore. Right. And it's actually really cool. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because Walter had this connection. His, his mother was uh, British, and so he had this connection to some of the slang terminology that, that came from, uh, from Britain. Bob is not your uncle. Uh, but but you, you get a lot of that, and you get, you know, various things. There's a, there's a line in uh, downtown Cannon where he says, uh, you took the, what is it? Uh, ah, shit, I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But he's got a couple of lyrics uh, that I think are as 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 good as, as anything. Yeah, and this was uh, what, 2011, wasn't that it? Was, uh, no, that was 2008. Was it eight? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, at that point, he's still, I mean, at that you, you hear it, you hear the production, you hear everything, it's just, all right, he's still Walter. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's all sure. there. Oh, it was. Uh, so this is he's talking about, uh, you know, moving into this apartment um, and, and just how how this moment defines the, in the entirety of a relationship. And he says, uh, and I guess this is the moment when when she has left him and, and he's got to get out because she's she's gone. He can't stay here. And he says, uh, packed up the Dylan and the Man Ray and the Joyce. And I left a note that said, well, I guess I got no choice. Excuse me, girl, while I'm kicking it to the curb. I'm leaving with all I need, but less than I deserve. And to me, that's one of those couplets that you think any songwriter would have been proud to write this. And I, the idea yeah. of combining, you know, Bob Dylan, who's the the you know preeminent songwriter. You're taking all your Dylan albums, Man Ray, you had pictures on the wall you had to take down, and Joyce, you had to take your books and your pictures and your music and get the fuck out. And this is all you're left with. And I think we've all kind of felt that in a relationship. Yeah, I think so. No, yeah, big time. But he said it better than I would have. If if if, if we could could leave with one one bit of advice, we we'd ask you to check out the stuff we talked about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Donald Fagan stuff does tend to sell fairly well. Uh, listen to some of the the Becker stuff. It's it's it's. Uh, this is also a guy who wrote the liner notes for a Steely Dan. I mean, a, a Spinal Tap album. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. We're 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 gonna wrap it up, guys. Um, by the way, our next artist only show, there will be a Larry Klein sighting on that. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, if you have any questions or anything, please leave it on our Facebook page. We'll be back. Uh, we're also gonna be. We talked to a couple of us about doing a couple of side episodes. We're we're thinking of doing a uh, building your jazz catalog podcast. Uh, a few other things. But we'll be back uh, with another podcast soon. If you have any suggestions for uh, topics at all. Oh, I'd be remiss if I let, let us go without saying, if you do like any of this stuff, you can go to a website called Walter Becker Media. There are a ton of unreleased Walter Becker tracks, including some of the, he did one live show in 96, I think, 95 or 96 at Slim's, uh, which is Boz Skaggs Club. Uh, but but they're free at high quality. You can just go there and download them. Walter asked that this stuff be distributed to his fans uh, after his death, which is uh, such a generous attitude. Uh, that's so, that's I mean, so cool. You could yeah. put together a box set and try to sell it for a bunch of money. He didn't want that. So and full credit to his his wife who makes all of this, or his widow now who makes all of this happen. Uh, but uh, it's well worth checking out some some really great music that's free, and you probably haven't heard it yet. Uh, Becker to me seemed to be, and, and I don't I don't mean to make this all about how wonderful Walter Becker is, and no, it was or how you know bad because they're both just amazing musicians and in their own way, oh, sure, quality people. But I, I he is kind of often because he di- he wasn't the singer, he wasn't the the focal point. 
his contributions as a as a musician have been or or musical creator especially have been kind of under 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 reviewed and and it's we like to give him a little bit of credit and and for him to do something like that is amazing yeah so and plus he was just straight cool to me so i will sing his praises until the as late as i can the cows come home there's never been another musician uh, of that caliber who said hey you want to come to all my shows for free to me if that ever happens i will uh kiss their ass just as much they're probably not worth listening to no, over and probably over. not all right guys we're gonna unplug and take a break till the next time um unless you've got a few thousand or more words to say about I'm, steely dan i'm, I'm kind of uh oh, i'll tell you about the time when... <laughs> guys until then this is brent sanders with jeff scruggs see you later the best-selling writer and foremost authority on Steely Dan, Matt Kearns. Peace. We will talk to you soon. Bye.